Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Shine a Light On podcast. Today, we will be shining a light on career development for first gen and low income students with Jerry Lee. So welcome, Jerry. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, we're excited to have you. So to start, do you mind giving us a bit of an introduction? We'd love to hear about your background, where you went to school and where you are now. Sure. So I'm originally from the LA area and I went to school in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. And since then I graduated and uh, started off my career at Google, even though that it may seem like it was, oh my gosh, you worked at Google. There was so much more that happened underneath that. And I'm so excited to share a little bit more about that, but that's my background in a nutshell. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I'd love to dive into sort of the underlyings of this story a bit. What would you say were some of your biggest lessons learned as a first generation college student? And maybe if you don't mind giving some background on those experiences as well, that would be helpful too. Absolutely. I'm happy to. So going into college as a first generation immigrant, it was absolutely mind blowing because I went to Babson College, which is a private business school in the Northeast. And so I was surrounded by people who on average was upper middle class Mm -hmm. and a third of our students were international. And those international students were also from ultra well-off families. And so for the first time, I was surrounded by a community of people where money really wasn't a topic that they had to worry about, right? Which was very different than the community I was growing up in because there we were lucky to even get a $10 allowance a week for us to go around and do things. And so that was definitely a huge culture shock for me. But going into college, I didn't really know what to expect because when I first arrived on my orientation date, that was the first time I'd gone further east than Arizona from California. Mm-hmm. And going further east than Arizona for the first time, I didn't know how to deal with snow. I didn't know how to deal with being around different types of people from all different types of backgrounds. And so the biggest lesson I think I've learned as a first-generation college student is to just go and try things, right? Be a yes person. And I attribute a lot of what I've done so far to just being someone who've always just said yes, who've always just tried different things. And as a result, it's allowed me to have a really diverse perspective, not only from a career perspective, but also personally as well. And it's through college that I was able to travel internationally for the first time. I've traveled to multiple states for clubs and organizations, and it really opened my eyes to what was bigger than the small little bubble I lived in L.A., Yes. Thank you for sharing that. And I especially like the point that you just said about just trying things, just diving in. I think it's very easy to ask, okay, what could I lose in this situation? And I think especially people with a lot of anxiety will will come up with a thousand ways they could lose something in the situation. So how did you overcome that question of, I I just got to try it? I think the, the hardest barrier there definitely was, you know, I'm afraid to fail. Hey, what if I invest all this time? Nothing works out. But I think having the right community for sure has helped. I heard a quote once that I really agree with. And it was something along the lines of, you become the average of the top five people you hang out with, right? And so I surrounded myself with people that I really enjoyed to be around. But more importantly, I could tell you one thing that I learned 
and was learning from someone in my friend group at all times. Right. And to this day, I could still say that the people I surround myself with are those who I could learn from, who helps me grow, pushes me as a person. So that's really my philosophy. And if you could think, apply that same philosophy of saying, hey, well, these are the people that I want to be more similarly like, then I think that's what's really helped me get me out of my comfort zone because they help push me in the right directions. Yes. I, I love that quote, actually. I may steal that from you. <laughs> but in addition to sort of friendships and communities, what other resources did you have to support you as a first-gen student? And what resources did you wish that you had? The resources that I had, the t- thing that comes top of mind is my community of people who were extremely kind and ones that would help support me. So definitely my friends were my biggest support system. The resource that I wish I had was I wish that the career center or the classes just talked about, hey, as a first-generation low-income student, these are all the basics that you have to learn. All those foundational things that I learned, I've learned through my friends, mentors that I made during my freshman and sophomore years. And if it weren't for them, mm-hmm. then I probably still would be figuring out what my resume is supposed to look like to this day. And so I think my friends, my community, the mentors are the ones who help push me. I wish that the school had more systems in place to allow for people who don't come from those backgrounds, who don't really understand what a resume is and give them those resources to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming your college had a career center what do you think sort of prevented you from feeling like you could go to them and ask questions? Yeah, it's a really good question because by the end of my college career, I was in the career center every other week, <laughs> made great relationship with every career advisor there. But the biggest meme or biggest stereotype that the career center had was that they were absolutely useless. Right? Like, and, and unfortunately, this is what we hear even when we work with students and organizations throughout colleges across the United States because they feel that, hey, these college career center professionals, they come from a background of education. They don't come from industry. They don't know how the recruiting process looks like, X, Y, Z. And so during my freshman and sophomore year, that's how very much how I felt that they were saying, well, because they haven't gone into industry, how can they advise me on how to break into something they haven't done? But as I learned a little bit more about what they did and actually worked at the career centers, I began to learn that just because they haven't worked there doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that they're not valuable, that they don't have any insight. Rather, they do have a number of insight. And the way that they think about the careers are purely shaped based off of what the employers and recruiters tell them, right? And so they're pretty much just walking knowledge knowledge hubs of resources that hundreds of recruiters have told them to understand what are best practices, right? And so that's what I learned later mm-hmm. in my career. But because I was surrounded by people who never used their career centers, I never felt like there was a need for me to go there. But I think that in itself is a problem because I think that it's the career center job to be more proactive, to figure out ways to engage with people who may not go to the career centers, right? And not have to rely on them coming in to give them the help. Yes. I I also worked at the career center at my college. And so I definitely hear what you're saying. (laughs) What do you think it was that clicked for you in thinking, okay, the career center is like actually very useful. They are these walking knowledge hubs. Do you think it was a single conversation or the fact that you did work there and you got to understand resources better? a mix of both for sure. When I worked at the career centers, I started to begin to understand, well, how do job postings get posted on Handshake? 
how do our career advisors work with these recruiters, right? Because I always thought that was a black box and I didn't really understand how they did that. But the more I learned that recruiters are the ones who approach our schools and say, hey, I want to recruit your college students. This is exactly what I'm looking for, right? The more I began to learn that they had really tight relationships with the career advisors, that they were friends, that made me understand like, wow, these people are actually great resources. For example, a story that I could share is I was at the career fair once and this was sometime during my junior year. And I was looking for an internship. And when I was there, I ran into one of the directors of the career centers and she was like, oh my gosh, let me go introduce you to someone. She introduced me to a consulting firm that was hiring, but wasn't hiring for interns. But they were like, hey, because the career advisor had such high praise about you, send us an email and we'll see what we can do to create an internship for you. Oh, wow. Right. And it was one of those things that was just kind of insane. I didn't realize that those things could happen, Mm -hmm. but because it did happen, it made me continually just reinforce that like, wow, like career advisors actually like their job is to care about you. Yes. You know? Yeah. And they potentially have like a lot of power and sway in who you can be connected to if you are connected to them. Exactly. Very cool. So I want to talk a little bit about the imposter syndrome here because I think it's it's very human to feel, but um, especially for first-generation college students, and I would say especially at a college predominantly surrounded by people that maybe you don't identify completely with. Right. It's super easy to set in when other people label you, definitely. And then when interactions with others lead us to label ourselves. So what were your experiences with imposter syndrome as a first-gen student? What's sort of interesting is that during my freshman, sophomore, maybe even a little bit of my junior year, I never really felt an imposter syndrome because I, the mindset that I had at the time was, well, if these people can do it, so can I. And so it, it made me understand like what are the upper limits of what I can do and how they did it. And so it gave me motivation to figure out, well, if they could do it, you know, how can I weasel my way in through? Mm-hmm. The process really hit for me when I interned at Google. And I was actually the first intern at Google from my alma mater. And there I was the only student from my college. Everyone else came from, you know, the Ivy Leagues and the A-tier schools, the B-tier schools. And I think I was one of very few Koreans there as well. (laughs) I felt a little out of place, very, very out of place. And I lurked and found all my managers and the people that I'd be working with on my team. They all came from Goldman Sachs. They graduated from Harvard. And it just made me realize, like, wow, I am so out of my league here. Right? I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea why they chose me. And the first time I truly felt like, wow, like I, I honestly don't belong here. Right. But one thing that was helpful was that at least that's helped me even to, through this day of even my professional career of having champions in the room. When you, when you have champions in the room where they become your advocate on your behalf, where if you're in a meeting, they ask you, well, hey, Jerry actually knows a lot about this. Hey, Jerry, do you want to share your perspective? Mm-hmm. And they agree with you. They back you up. It gives you this reinforcement that, hey, your line of thinking isn't wrong, that you're actually right. Right. And the more that you can get that reinforced into your brain, the more you begin to realize, like, well, maybe I do have value that I can add here. Right. And I think if it weren't for those early champions, I think it would have definitely hindered my confidence and definitely 
contribute more towards the imposter syndrome. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up those champions because it's, I think, impossible to do alone, getting over the imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if getting over the imposter syndrome is possible, but especially not doing it alone. So thank you for bringing up champions in the room. I guess going off of that, how did you find these people? Or would you say you approached people as friends and they took you under their wing? I started off my career just asking people like, hey, how do you guys do your work? Right. And so I spent my internship that summer setting meetings with everyone on the team. We as many people as there were on my team. And more importantly, I spent time to create recurring meetings with people who were willing to chat more. Mm. Right. And I specifically chose out the ones where they knew more about a topic where I wanted to grow in. And so an area that I want to grow more in was SQL. And I've never learned it before. And there were a number of different data analysts on the team. And so when I spoke to the data analysts, they would spend the time, meet with me, give me feedback and criticism on the work that I was doing, which allowed me to develop my skills more, but also it developed this almost relationship where they would become my champion, Mm -hmm. right? Because they'd say, oh yeah, I mean, I've worked with Jerry. He absolutely knows what he's talking about and I can vouch for his work. Mm-hmm. Right. And so because I had that relationship with some people, it definitely, definitely helped when I pitched a project, when I had a dissenting opinions that people took me seriously and not was just like, hey, this is another intercom. Mm-hmm. No, that's great advice. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. How do you think that mindset tactic in the workforce can translate to someone who's feeling a little bit lost in college? That's a good question. I'd say try to understand what's causing you to feel lost, right? And I think one of the main reasons why someone might feel lost is because they might feel like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. Everyone else around me feels like they're making progress towards a dream internship, but I don't even know what my dream looks like, mm-hmm. right? And so if that's the main part of your confusion or maybe that might that's where you feel lost, the best advice I could share is just choose something, Right. And the way that you choose something is say, well, what are some some things that I really liked and didn't like? Create that list and figure out what roles or what industries or functions best align to that list. And if you truly can't think of anything, then literally get a dartboard and throw your dart at and label different career paths and just throw a dart. Right. And just walk down one path. Right. Because I think what people often do is they'll say, well, I'm interested in product management, investment, banking, marketing, and sales, Jerry. Right. And I'll say, choose one that I, I can't. Then I am like, perfect. Let's choose one at random. <laughs> right. But it's important for you to walk down that path because when you go deep into a certain topic, you begin to realize what you do like and don't like. As you have that list of what you do and don't like, it's going to help shape the future career paths that you go towards. It's this idea of just taking action, being a yes person, just going after it. And that's exactly how you take it for finding your dream job, right? Just pick something, do relative stack ranking and just go towards that. And as soon as something is a big enough red flag for you, cross that off your list and go on to the next one. Yeah, I I love that. And I'm going to start using that dartboard for for everything. is the first thing I wanted to say. And the second is I really like this example that you brought up of students, I'm assuming, but even new grads or people looking to make a career change, people just have more interests now. I think it's a very normal 
for people to have a business tech design, whatever financial sales Mm -hmm. mindset, they want to try it all. Mm -hmm. So if someone does have such a wide range of interests, how do you convince them to choose one path? Or have you found sort of a hesitation or someone's just like, no, I, I must find a career that involves all of these interests? Yeah, I think at that point, the usual answer there is perfect. Well, go go give yourself a week and find a, find a career that best aligns with your interests. And they'll say, perfect. Well, all right, I've done my research and I've only found three, or uh, I've only been able to find roles that match my top five, not my top eight. Okay. Okay, perfect. Well, if that's the best that you could do, then start there. Mm-hmm. Right. And as you're doing research and as you're just going down that path, inherently you're going to find similar related roles and maybe there's going to be something that you find. Right. But the most important thing that you can do, especially with your career, is just take action. Because if you don't take action, then really it's going to be tough for you to actually make progress towards your career. And I think for most people who are spending the time to listen to a podcast about a guy sharing his experiences, chances are you're pretty motivated and you're wanting to learn more about your career. Mm -hmm. And if you're at that point where you're thinking about what that next step looks like, start somewhere. Because at the end of the day, when you start down a path, that doesn't mean that that's a path that you're going to end up with. Careers are flexible, just like your interests. And so you always have that choice to move. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. So I know we sort of rabbit hold a little bit down here into career development in general, but going back to our sort of original conversation, how can students, faculty, and alum, or any other individuals really, be allies to first-generation students? I think the way to be allies is to encourage. It creates an opportunity for the first-generation students to feel more confident Right. And that's really the biggest thing that I think exists between first generation student and not first generation students have to figure out what does college mean? What does the room selection process mean? What does uh, what does a communal bathroom mean? Right. I didn't know what that meant until I started college. Right. And and so because there's so much unknown and, and variables that you just don't know, it just creates a lot of anxiety and it creates a lot of uneasiness so the best way that you can become allies is just encourage and support mm-hmm. right if you're privileged and lucky enough to have come from a family where they have gone to college careers they can share you about their times at college they can reflect back with you and share yeah hey i met some of my best friends they're perfect we'll share those learnings right and encourage people to do the same because i think too often especially in business schools, people can get very competitive and say, I win only if I win. Mm-hmm. But I think that's really a wrong, that's a very short-term way of thinking about it. I found that the most helpful way, even to this day, is to help uplift others because what you don't know is going to happen is down the line, uh, you have one, two, three, four years down the line, you're going to find opportunities that those people that you've invested in that otherwise wouldn't have come up if it weren't for the investments that you made earlier on. Yeah, it kind of sounds similar to what you were noting about champions in the workplace. Allies for first-generation college students can be the ones that uplift their voices, especially if they know that they're 
experts or that they have value to add to a conversation. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I think when it comes to those types of conversations, I think it can almost sometimes be segregating, especially for first generation students who maybe can't relate to certain topics. Uh, for me, I ran into this a ton when I was in college where people would be talking about their private schools or their family vacations that they took on and X, Y, Z. And there's nothing wrong, inherently wrong with doing that. I just had nothing ever to share about that because I never did any of those things. Mm-hmm. And thankfully now I'm in a position where I can help others realize this and I can help others think about these different areas. But I, at least for me, I think that's one of the things that I wish had happened. But again, it's something that I've been trying to do with consulting and all the work that I've been doing there, especially for those people who come from similar background. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I guess while we're still chatting about your college experiences a bit, what would you do differently if you could start it over? I don't know if I would do anything differently, to be honest. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Maybe the only thing I do differently is I would take a more diverse set of classes. I took my first software engineering course when I was a senior, and I really, really enjoyed it. And had I known about software engineering earlier on, then maybe would have shifted my career path just a little bit. But at the end of the day, I think that's the only thing that I would change, just going down different paths and just figuring out what other fields are out there. Just because I went to a a small liberal arts business college. Yeah, that's going to be the only thing I'd change. Okay. Out of curiosity, is there a course that maybe you took or that maybe doesn't exist that you think every college student should have to take? Yes, two courses. Yes, I love that you asked this question. One would be Personal (laughs) Finance 101. Outside of Mm. professional development, I am a huge, huge nerd about personal finance. And the more I learn about it, the more I realize that it's actually not that simple for you to become financially savvy. For you to know the ABCs (laughs) of finance, I think only requires you to study up on it for a couple hours, to be honest. Mm If you look at the statistics for the U.S., there's 30, 40, 50, 60% of Americans can't cover an accident that is over $400 or $4,000 or something like that. That, that to me is, is a little shocking. And I think there's a multitude of different reasons. There's gap with like compensation, there's gap with net worth, like all that stuff. But I think if you were to really break down personal finance, it doesn't just, I think the general stereotype is that personal finance is only important for those who have a lot of money. I think personal finance is those people who want to be smart with their money. Right. And so I think that's definitely one one area that I think one course that I think everyone should take. The second course is negotiations. Almost every conversation that you have has some level of negotiation to it, Mm -hmm. whether it's you're clarifying a purchase that you made on a product online, whether that's for a salary compensation negotiation. The basic negotiation skills should absolutely be a class because I think when people think about negotiation or when people are debating, they always think, well, it's either going to be you or me, and I want it to be more of me than you. But the whole idea of negotiation is figuring out ways to expand the size of the pie so that both parties win. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think if you're able to shift your mindset in that way, especially at work, it transitions it from, well, it'll take my team to do six weeks of work and we can't do this thing to, well, let's figure out how we can make this work. Right. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a 30% solution that we can work together. Right. And I think everyone would feel more productive. Everyone would feel much happier about decisions that get made. 
Yeah, no, I love that. I've also heard that people say life is one big negotiation and no matter how you break it down, negotiation is always involved. I really like those two classes you just listed and I'm sad to say I, I took neither of those in college. <laughs> it's not too late. It's a little too late for me for the college route since I am graduated, but I could still learn for sure. I think I need to after this conversation. For sure. My last question for you, Jerry, is do you have any last words of advice or wisdom for people listening in? I'd say the biggest words of advice that I can share is there's this quote that I truly, truly believe. And the quote goes, I'm a big believer in luck. The harder I work, the more I have of it. As I reflect back on my career, I don't think that I made strategic moves for me to say, yes, now I'm going to do this and it's going to allow me to get an internship at Google. And now after I did a Google internship, I'm going to be able to make my decision to do this and this and this, right? I think a lot of that ultimately just comes down to luck, Mm -hmm. right? If somehow, some way a recruiter had a really bad day and they were looking at my resume and they didn't think that I was good enough to be an intern, my life would look very, very different today. I probably would have been in consulting today, Mm -hmm. right? And because some way, somehow someone said, all right, this, this kid who threw his resume in the application with no referral, nothing, we should give him a shot. That's allowed me to do everything else that I've done so far in the past three years. And so I believe that if you talk to most people in their careers, very few will say, hey, I've planned out every step of my career. I think most people will say, I just sort of lucked into it. Someone reached out or my friend knew of a friend who was hiring and I just got laid off. And I believe that you can create more of those opportunities by just working harder. I don't believe that people at Harvard are smarter. I don't believe people who go to a college that no one has heard of are any lesser than people who go into Harvard, the kids at Harvard, right? I think that there's definitely an element of learning how to play the game and luck. And the harder that you work, the more luck you have. I love that quote as well, Jerry. I might steal that too. (laughs) (laughs) Feel free, please. Thank you so much again for joining us. It was great chatting with you. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. It was so, so fun. Of course. This is a great conversation. Thank you. To anyone tuning in, thank you for joining us as well. As always at Opal, we shine brighter together and we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.